Dear friends, this week we're diving into the lesson, Winsome Witnessing. Do we know though what winsome witnessing is? Well, it certainly is not a style of witnessing that was developed by someone named Winsome. I looked it up and both the Oxford and the Merriam-Webster dictionary indicates that the word is an adjective. It's describing something. It's describing the way our witnessing should be. When someone or an attribute or a behavior or, or the mannerism of a person is described as winsome, it really means that they are pleasant or attractive or appealing in a fresh and kind of innocent way. So when the lesson speaks of winsome witnessing, it denotes witnessing that is pleasing and engaging or, or lighthearted or cheerful. It's a witnessing born out of a desire to share what you know, oftentimes with such openness, so much so that your audience desires to listen to you. Colossians 4 and verse 6 puts it this way. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that he may know how he ought to answer every man. Well, let me put it another way. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. But how do we know what's the right response? How do we know how to respond to every man? Well, it certainly won't get us far to engage in, in futile debates and arguments over scripture. No, that's not godly witnessing. After all, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 16 admonishes us this way. But shun profane and, 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 and vain babbling, for they will lead or increase unto more ungodliness. So how should we go about witnessing? Well, you can start with your personal testimony. No one can beat that. There's unusual power in a personal testimony. The apostles testified of this when they said, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And that's in Acts 4 verse 20. In short, we cannot but share our personal testimony. I'd like us to take it a step further and add that not only what we say should testify of Christ's transforming work in our hearts, but the very way we live should reflect Christ's character. Paul says in his letter to the brethren in Philippi, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And that's found in Philippians 1, verse 27. Now, that's power-packed witnessing. But what amazes me is the fact that even though God provides so many opportunities and methods for us to be winsome witnesses, he also chooses witnesses that mm, we would probably have overlooked. Take, for example, that demon-possessed man in Decapolis. Here in Jamaica, we call him a stark, raving madman. <laughs> well, everybody knew about this demonic man. He was violent and his behavior was unpredictable. Who knows, he, he may have seriously maimed someone in that town too. Well, when I revisited the story this week in, in Mark chapter 5, I remembered a childhood friend of mine, you know. We had attended the same church, went to the same school. As a matter of fact, he had just lived down the road from us and we spent many days as children playing together well I eventually grew up and left the town in my teens and so did he <clears throat> but 
a few years later, I was at work and my staff showed me a video that had gone viral, as they call it. It was a madman and he, he really had some dance moves. It was just fascinating. So I shared it with my sister and she took one look at the video and she said to me, take a closer look. I did, I realized it was my childhood friend and for weeks I couldn't get him out of my mind and I kept wondering, what could I do to help him? Well, one day I was walking downtown and I saw him standing in the distance. I was so elated that I immediately took out some money from my purse and, and I made a beeline for him. I knew in my mind that once he locked eyes with mine, he would remember me, his little friend. Well, I got within a few feet of him and he, he stared at me. And then he really looked at me and without a word, he blew me a kiss and he opened his arms as if he was embracing a long lost sister and he closed his eyes in anticipation of my embrace. Well, in that moment, the most sickening fear took hold of me. He never lifted a machete. He never threw a stone. But the thought of being held in his embrace, uh, that was enough to make me run for my life. Now, when Jesus healed the demoniac, it didn't take long for news of his healing to spread. Um, I guess the herdsmen who looked after the pigs quickly ran and told everyone what had happened. So naturally the locals were curious for they knew the guy's former state. So many came to see the evidence for themselves and Mark 5 verse 15 puts it this way. Then they came to see Jesus. And when they came and saw Jesus, they saw the man who was demon-possessed and had the legion. He was sitting and he was clothed in his right mind. He was probably smiling and blowing kisses at them. Who knows? But the scripture says that they were afraid. But who were they afraid of? <laughs> I'd want to believe that this miracle would have brought great joy among the locals. After all, there must have been people in the crowd who were probably the man's relative or his friends, and at least they had reason to rejoice. Yet the response of the people were one of great fear. And they begged Jesus to leave the area. They weren't afraid of the man anymore. They were afraid of Jesus. I know we all agree that, that their desire for Christ to leave may have been based partly on the loss of the pigs. We know that because Mark 5 verse 16 says that the thoughts of the people were on the pigs or the swine. And of course the pigs being dead was a huge financial loss. So it may have been that the people feared that if Jesus hung around town, they would have incurred some additional loss. Mm. I keep thinking about the fact, though, that Mark's account never described them as angry or upset. After all, if someone wiped out my livelihood, the natural response would be anger, not fear. You know, I was reminded of the riot that the craftsmen back in Ephesus had when, when Paul's preaching led many of the Ephesians to give up worshipping false gods and, and they gave up purchasing idols. Oh boy, those craftsmen were so upset because they made their livelihoods by crafting idols. And so they were so mad, they said, Paul is bad for business, he needs to get out of town. You can read about it in Acts 19, uh, verse, uh, verses 21, I think, upwards. However, the, the people in the capitalists, they were afraid of Jesus. And the fear of the loss of income wasn't the main reason or the only reason why the people begged Jesus to depart. There was another fear. If you remember the story when Jesus calmed the storm, 
The witnesses to that act also feared Christ. But those who saw Jesus come the sea didn't ask him to leave. Mark 4, reading from verse 35, puts it this way. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, the witnesses were Jesus' disciples. They were his friends on the boat, and they had a greater insight into Jesus' character. They knew his divine power, but they also knew his mercy. You see, the same was true for the demoniac man. He had seen Jesus' power, but he had also seen his mercy. He had also seen his saving grace. But the crowd who came to see the man only knew Jesus' divine power. You see, I found a quotation this week from John Calvin. He said, we learn how wide is the difference between the knowledge of the goodness and the knowledge of the power of God. You see, power strikes men with terror, he says. It makes them fly. It makes them fly from the presence of God and it drives them to a distance from him. But goodness, it draws them gently and it makes them feel that nothing is more desirable than to be united to God. You see, friends, fallen creatures tremble in complete fear at the thought of the Lord's power and cannot endure his presence for long when they haven't relied on his mercy. He's terrifying to all who don't know about his forgiveness. Dr. R.C. Sprout says it in his commentary. He says, when the Holy One is manifest in the midst of unholy people, the only appropriate human response is dread. And I'm reminded of the children of Israel. When Moses stood on the mount and God said, I want to talk to these people directly. And when the people witnessed the thunder and the lightning and the sounding of the ram's horn and, and when the mountain was enveloped in smoke, they trembled and stood at a distance. And they said, Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But don't let God speak to us or we will die. And Moses had to say, don't be afraid. For God has come to test you so that the fear of him may be before you always to keep you from sinning. You see, the man was whole again. He was, he was whole physically, mentally emotionally, spiritually. He said, Jesus, may I come with you? There's so much I want to learn and, and know about you. But Jesus said, no, I think you know enough. My power was manifested here today. It's your turn to tell them about my goodness. Share what we sat and talked about, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. Let them know that the essence of the gospel is about me coming to save fallen mankind. They don't understand that. They have seen my power. The lesson says, I am here to restore people broken by sin to the wholeness Christ has created for them. You see, friends, when sin permeates a person's life, he rejects God, not because they do not know his power. Instead, they reject him because all they know is his power and his purity. People who have no knowledge of the extent of God's goodness shown by his extension of mercy to us repentant men and women, will always tremble in terror because unholiness 
cannot bear the presence of holiness. But if we are in Christ, we have been forgiven and can stand before God in safety. What's your story? That is, what's your conversion story? You may want to share it today by winsome witnessing. And remember, winsome witnessing can only come from a gracious heart. Just like that demonic man who was released. It can only come from a grateful heart. A heart thankful for what Jesus has done. A heart that recognizes his transforming power. And anticipates with like childlike wonder what the Holy Spirit has left to do. Jesus sent him. He said, no, don't go. Don't, don't come with me. Go. Tell them about my transforming grace. They have already seen my power and they are afraid. Tell them about my transforming grace. Go. Be like them. Paul says in Corinthians 9 verse 19 onwards, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Did you know that by being winsome in your witnessing, like Paul, you may be helping to save some? God bless you.